course, if you had your TV on or checked your news feed or something like that, you saw that that was not the case in Sri Lanka this morning as they had um, a number of churches and hotels that were uh, bombed. Um, well, and there was explosions from personal bombs. They weren't dropped. Um, and so we do want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. Um, there, at least what I saw this morning early on, there was at least 200 dead um, at these various places. And so we want to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ um, over there as well. And so if you would just agree with me in prayer for them. Heavenly Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka this morning. Lord, this was not um, what they expected as they were gathering together to worship you. And Lord, we know that those that were believers are, are in paradise with you. But Lord, for those that are left behind, Lord, the grieving that they are going through, the many that were injured. And Lord, we don't even have a number of, of either of those, either killed or injured yet. And Lord, we just lift our brothers and sisters up to you. Lord, we pray encouragement. We pray physical healing. Lord, we also pray emotional healing over those that uh, saw the devastation and the terror. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would use this situation somehow in your power for your glory. And only you know what that looks like, Lord. But Lord, we pray that you would bring good for what was intended for evil. And may you be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You know, it, it is just a different world in which we live in today. That is the reality. And there's those, those scary things, or at least it can can be scary. Of course, we, we remember who still is in control. Um, but there can also be just little things in our world that have changed. And as I was reflecting on that this week, I thought about how different it is for families raising their kids today than when it was when Pat and I were raising our kids. We have two sons. They're now 29 and 31. I don't know how that happened, as every parent would say that about their kids. How did that happen? But I was thinking about the other day um, that it used to be that we would get up in the morning when, these, when our kids were little and get up in the morning, we'd feed them their, their breakfast. and They were about 8 and 10 in this particular uh, situation I was reflecting back on this week. And, and we'd feed them breakfast and then Pat and I would head off to the sawmill. That's where we were working, our family sawmill pallet manufacturing company. It was about a half mile down the road. And so we'd get them fed breakfast and then we'd head off to the sawmill on foot. And um, one morning we received a phone call. Well, now I better back up. The morning that we, that particular situation is that somebody saw a mouse in the house. And I'm like, Ugh, I don't have time to deal with the mouse. We've got a pallet order that needs to go out. I, just don't worry about it. We'll deal with it when we get home. Well, the kids were still home because it wasn't time to go down for the bus yet. And I get a phone call over at the sawmill. And they're telling me the story. Mom, we got the mouse. They had grabbed brooms and somehow managed to kill the mouse with a broom. Now, they were only 8 and 10. I think about today, you don't leave your 8 and 10-year-old alone anymore at home. 
Um, we did back then. In fact, they were quite a bit younger when we started leaving them at home alone. Um, and they survived, thankfully. God watched over them. Anyway, so they are telling us, you know, that they, they killed the, the mouse with the broom. And I'm thinking, that's kind of gruesome, but okay, they're boys, and that's what sometimes boys do. But anyway, I guess a trap's probably not too more, much more humane, is it? Um, but anyway, in that, um, there was the pause on the other end of the phone from the boys. And then all of a sudden, one decided, we should go see if it's still dead. <laughs> they had thrown it out the back door, thankfully. But the reality is, is let's face it, if, if something's dead, you expect it to stay dead, don't you? Well, hmm, there's our topic for the day, isn't it? <laughs> Well, here at Hill City Assembly of God, we are in a year-long series. And, and if you're just a, a visitor here, we want to say again, welcome. We are glad that you're here, but we want to kind of catch up to speed as to what we've been up to this yet last, well, four months about. Um, we are using a companion book called The 52 Greatest Stories of the Bible. And um, it's a weekly devotional. And so each week, um, typically, it's a, a chapter that we read out of here. Um, and then we couple that, of course, here's our foundation. The Word of God is our foundation. And this is kind of like our tour guide throughout the Bible this year. And so that was, is what we've been up to. And, and I put the information in the bulletin just in case, as we go through this morning's message, it kind of picks your interest a little bit. And you think, hmm, I'm going to check that book out. But it is written by Ken Boa and John Allen Turner. And each week we read a, a little excerpt out of it, um, again, using the Bible as the foundation. But the authors use just this engaging and, and conversationally narrative style as, as they write this book. And it is filled with humor. And so I, I hope that you'll appreciate it and maybe want to pick that up for yourself if you haven't already. Um, again, we did include that in the bulletin. Uh, we also do post our messages online. And so if you want to go back and listen to some of the messages that are in this series on your own time, you can either look at our, our Facebook page or our website, and that information is on your bulletin as well. To help people follow along with it, though, we do use the chapter names for our messages so that you can go back and forth and and catch on to as, okay, this is where they're at. This is the title of the message. This is the correlating title of the chapter. And for today's message, the title is really simple. Resurrection. Resurrection. Now, some of the chapter titles are, you know, pretty, you know, engaged. They, they just kind of grab you. This one, it's like simple. Resurrection. You think they could have added an adjective like, you know, amazing resurrection or incredible resurrection, but they didn't. But then I thought, wow, what adjective would you use? Because there is, a, is there even one that would be adequate to really describe the resurrection? That would be able to really adequately describe the event of that first Easter morning. One that would be able to encapsulate the wonder of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. You know, it is 
the central fact of Christianity history, that resurrection. On it, the church has been built. There would be no Christian church today had Jesus Christ not risen. His resurrection is unique. Sure, other religions have strong ethical systems, concepts about paradise and the afterlife, various holy scriptures, but only Christianity has a God who became human, literally died for his people, and was raised again in power and glory. Resurrection. What started out as a really mournful day turned into an exciting day. Exciting in a really amazing and incredible way. And the author of our companion book did a wonderful job of compiling the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those accounts of of Christ's resurrection that they recorded. And the authors compiled it into this paraphrase. And so I'm going to start by sharing what the author wrote about those chapters talking about the resurrection. And then we're going to spend the rest of our morning considering what does this mean for us today. So before we get started, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, there is power in your word, power to save, power to heal, power to set the captive free. And so, Lord, as we take in your word today, Lord, we just pray that you would use it in a mighty way, that it wouldn't return void, but that it would change each of us to the degree that you would have us to be changed. Lord, you are so incredibly good, and we praise you this day. Amen. Amen. Well, reading from our companion book, the author writes, Early in the morning the women went to the tomb. It was the first day of the week and they had a lot to do, so they got up early, had an early start with their day, visiting the body of Jesus, making sure everything was as it should be before embarking on their journey home. Why did they go to the tomb? Because they assumed they would find Jesus there, dead. They had seen him die. They had watched his body go into the cave, Dead people then, as now, tended to stay dead. But something wasn't right. The stone was rolled away. And upon closer inspection, they found the grave clothes, but not the corpse. There was no body. What in the world was going on? Suddenly, two men appeared, their clothes shining bright as lightning. What are you doing here, looking for a live person among the dead bodies. We aren't looking for a live person. We're looking for a dead man. He has risen just as he said he would. Don't you remember? Hmm. That does sound familiar. He did say something about that. More than once, if memory serves. But he also said that he was the Messiah. And Messiahs aren't supposed to die. Messiahs are supposed to kill the bad guys, not be killed by the bad guys. Wow, those clothes are really bright. Hurry back and tell the others that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. 
bursting back into the room where the dejected followers of Jesus were, these women began to tell them what had just happened. But where do you even begin to explain the inexplicable? It didn't make sense. The stone was where? There were two men whose clothes were shiny who said, what? It had been a long and traumatic week for everyone, especially the women. There had been the parade into the city, that incident in the temple, the Passover, the death of Jesus, and now this. Maybe these women ought to lie down. It was nonsense to everyone except Peter. Peter started looking or thinking back to a conversation he'd had with Jesus a while back. Jesus had asked everyone, who do you really think I am? Peter had answered Jesus before he even realized his mouth was open. That was pretty typical for Peter. You're the one, the Messiah. And Jesus had applauded him for his answer. But then Jesus had started talking about death and resurrection. It hadn't made any sense at the time. And when Peter tried to interrupt Jesus, there were harsh words exchanged. Peter bolted from the room, John hot on his heels. Arriving at the tomb, they saw the strips of linen, but not the body. What could this possibly mean? You don't suppose. Jesus rose from the dead. There's no other explanation that makes sense. The disciples would not have taken Jesus' body and hidden it and then been willing to die for a dead man. The Roman officials and the Jewish religious leaders wouldn't have taken the body. That would have only built the efforts of Jesus' followers. No other explanation makes sense but that he rose from the dead. And of course, we couple that with that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to Peter and then the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them, which were still alive, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. In other words, there were over 500 eyewitnesses who testified that they had seen Jesus. He is risen, just as he said he would be. Now we know, as scripture tells us, that if Christ hadn't been raised, preaching would be useless and so would be our faith. But Christ has been raised from the dead. He is alive. The resurrection account is true. Now, if we would have been down south, there would have been a collective audible amen to that. (laughs) But since we live in the north country, I know you guys just all said it in your hearts, right? Amen. Amen. (laughs) The resurrection is a true account. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is alive. Therefore, the question I want to address this morning is do we understand why the resurrection is important? Do we understand why the resurrection is important? When I was a young girl growing up, I was really, really, really shy. My parents will attest to that. 
I was very shy. I was very observant. I didn't ask a lot of questions. In fact, they've told me we wondered if you would actually even speak because it was about age three before I really started to talk. And, and in that, though, as I've gotten older, I've learned the benefit of asking questions. It helps us to gain a better understanding of things. Instead of just accepting that something is true, we can discover the value or the purpose of it being true. The same thing applies to our faith. If we ourselves do not understand the importance specifically of the resurrection, don't see the value or the purpose or don't understand it, how can we be ready to explain it? How can we, as followers of Jesus, be prepared to give an answer when someone asks us about our hope as a believer? And so this morning I want to offer several reasons from the Bible as to why the resurrection is important. First, the resurrection is important because through it Christ removed the guilt of our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. The scriptures also say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 17 that if Christ had not has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. This is huge. It's that coupling of Christ dying but also being rose again or raised again so that we can have the guilt of our sin removed. It is huge because the Bible says that the wages of sin, the payment of our sin, is death. As one so clearly and simply stated, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we'd still be in our sin, meaning we'd be bound for hell, not heaven. But because Christ died, shedding his blood for our sin and was raised from the dead, our bill has been paid in full. When God looks at us, he does not see our sin if we received him as our Savior. He sees Christ's righteousness. For Christ's righteousness covers all of our sins, past, present, and future. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The second point, the resurrection is important because it offers us new life and a new spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. This new life, though, is an immediate, but also a process all at the same time. We have a new life immediately, but our new life is a process. It's kind of like being married. On June 14th, 1986, Pat and I got married. We were married. I was 18, and he was 20. Yep. I know, that's crazy. <laughs> and we're still married and loving each other too. Anyway, so, but 
So we were married that day, but we had to grow. It was a process of growing into be married as well. And for me as a young wife, boy, did I have a lot of learning and growing and transitioning to do. I remember calling my mom, noontime, I'm making dinner, like our 5 o'clock meal. Mom, what time do I have to put this on and that on in order for it to actually be done at the same time? <laughs> I didn't do a lot of cooking before I got married. I didn't know. And it's like I had never done laundry before I got married. I kid you not. Never did a lot of load of laundry. <sighs> and clean the house? Well, I had a lot of cleaning jobs, so I could clean the house, but the thought of having to keep it clean all of the time? Oh, that was a process. And, and if you're mad at your husband, don't throw the garden hose at him. <laughs> because he can run faster than you can. I had to develop, I had to learn, I had to grow into being married. There you go, some of the family secrets. <laughs> but... We do have a wonderful marriage, but we're still growing into it. We're still the same people that we were before we got married. Pat's still Pat. Lisa is still Lisa. Yet we've grown and we've matured. Similarly, when we confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior, believe that God raised him from the dead and made us right with God, we're still us, but now we have a new life. And when I received Jesus' my Lord and Savior, 15 years ago, almost to the day, I was still recognizable by those who knew me as Lisa. But those who knew me most definitely saw some rather, rather significant changes in my life. Again, I was still Lisa, but God gave me a new life because God had put a new spirit in me, a spirit that wanted to walk in full devotion to him because he had loved me so much, this God that he sent his son to die for me. I wanted to walk in obedience because he had put that new spirit to live in me. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Jesus repeatedly told the disciples before his death that he needed to leave so that he could send an advocate, a counselor, someone that would help them. He would send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would never leave us. That promises for us today just as it was for the disciples. Coming up here in June, or July actually, it'll mark year two of me having my smartphone. My kids thank me. Because when Pat and I used to travel, I'd go to my computer, tech savvy that I am, and that's a joke, and, and I would print out the directions from MapQuest of how we needed to get from point A to point B, from point B to point C, and whatnot. That's what I used to do. The only problem is, is if your itineration got changed up, you really couldn't use those because going from point A to point C, taking out point B, or if you wanted to omit that because you knew it would take you way around where you really didn't need to go, it just didn't really work. And so what would I do? Go 
told my kids. <laughs> Here's where we are. This is where we need to be. How do I get there? Yes, they were very glad when I finally got my smartphone because I have an app in there that has the GPS. It's a beautiful thing. Now, of course, they had to walk me through how to use that too, um, but eventually I got it and I'm, I can do this now. But as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is our GPS. Many of you have heard me affectionately call it our God positioning system, our GPS. Yes, that's, I think that fits. Um, but he lives within us helping us to navigate this life. All the intersections, all the bumps, all the curves, the mountains, the obstacles in our lives, the Holy Spirit is right there with us because he's in us. And when we head it down the wrong way from time to time, we can do that. He will correct us and get us back on course. He'll let us know. When we're not sure which way to turn at those intersections in life, he'll tell us which way we need to go. Of course, there's going to be those times when he's feeling like we've got the Holy Spirit wind at our back and life is sailing right along. But there's also going to be those times where we're weary and tired and he's going to be our strength as we go through life. You see, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that lives within us as followers of Christ. The Spirit of God, Romans 8.11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And continuing with the rest of that verse, we read, And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Think about that for a minute. God will give life to our mortal bodies. Mortal bodies eventually die. But God's going to give new life to them. In his perfect time, and that's going to happen. New life to something dead sounds like a resurrection. When the followers of Jesus went to the tomb, they didn't find Jesus' body. It had been resurrected. Of course, we know that Jesus went on to walk 40 days after his death as he was in his resurrected body. Physically, he was present with them. And it's interesting that his body, the, that he was in, in his resurrected body, is very much like our current bodies in looks and functions because the disciples, his followers, recognized him. They weren't freaked out that his body looked really strange and weird. They just, it's Jesus. Now, they weren't quick to pick up on that, of course, because you don't expect to see somebody walking around that you thought was dead. But he had a body that in looks and functions was like his body when he before his crucifixion. Jesus, is in, his, Jesus in his resurrected body ate, did physical tasks like catching fish. He also walked on the ground not floating above the ground as some people maybe think that we would do in our resurrected bodies. 
the walking through the wall, well, there are some things that maybe he as God can, can only do. We don't know. We'll see what happens when we get there, right? But the point of that is that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was raised as the first fruits. His body, or as his body went, so will ours. And so if he functioned much like we do today, so will we. So will we. Now we know, of course, that it's going to be much better than just that, though. But he was raised from the dead. And scripture tells us that all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So the third point is the, the resurrection is important because our bodies will also be resurrected. Now you might wonder, well, okay, but outside of what's already been shared, what are they going to look like? Well, I'm borrowing these words from Randy Elkhorn. He wrote, this then is the most basic truth about our resurrected bodies. They are the same bodies that God created for us, but they will be raised to greater perfection than we've ever known. We don't know everything about them, of course, but we do know a great deal. Scripture does not leave us in the dark about our resurrection bodies because we each have a physical body. We already have the single best reference point for envisioning a new body. <clears throat> Outside your body, even if it's failing, is the blueprint of your resurrection body. You may not be satisfied with your current body or mind, but you'll be thrilled with your resurrection upgrades. With them, you'll be better able to serve and glorify God and enjoy an eternity of wonders he has prepared for you. Think about that. No more pain, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more arthritis or any other disease or ailment. The resurrection is important because our bodies will also be resurrected. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to start with verse 21, and then we'll kind of skip along through this chapter. It starts out with, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that man, of course, being Adam who ushered in sin and death, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, we know Jesus Christ. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come. When he will return, or when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Moving ahead to verse 50. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. And then picking it up with verse 54. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. 
Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, or where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, death will be completely defeated. Jesus said he would die. He did. He said he would rise again. And he has. He said he would prepare a place for us. And he will. We can trust him to fulfill all of his promises because he did everything that he said that he was going to do. You know, in light of Jesus' resurrection and promise to return to raise all who belong to the Lord, here's what our charge is for those of us that believe. It comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. For those of us who believe, that's what our charge is, is to always work for the Lord. Now you might think, all right, you've told me I have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave in me. Why is it that I struggled then to do what he has called me to do? Maybe that's where you're at today. You're feeling like, I don't feel like I have that power working in me. I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I believe he died for my sins, but I don't feel like I have his power. If that's you today, I just want to pray for you. And so if you just bow your heads briefly here, if that's you today, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, but you don't feel like you have his power working in your life and you want that, I just encourage you to raise your hand as I pray over you this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you do offer us your power. And Lord, there are some in the room that are needing a fresh filling of your power so that they can be about the work that you've called them to do. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would pour that out, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would equip them, Lord, that you would help them to tap into that through prayer and through reading your word. Lord, you are faithful, and you want us to be filled in your power. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, and we do know that, that he set us free. And so if it's bondage that holds us back, of course, we want to be open to him releasing us from that bondage. But maybe you've never really even heard up until today what, what Christianity is, is really all about. You came maybe with a family member or, or maybe God just brought you in our church unexpectedly, um, as happened to me 15 years ago. Um, here I was, and I'm like, I don't even know what all of this is about. Maybe that's where you're at today. And so I want to just share very briefly, here's what basic Christianity is. Believe that Christ died for our sins. That he was buried, meaning he really died. And that he rose again. That's basic Christianity. 
That's the starting point, is believing those things. And maybe that's where you're at today. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart, drawing you even to this place, drawing you to Jesus this morning, helping you to see how much God loves you. And he wants that restored relationship with you. Christ has already done his part. Have you done yours? Do you belong to Jesus? That's the starting point, to just believe and receive the free gift of eternal life that he offers. You know, that starting point comes at different times for everybody. Might be a four-year-old receives Christ. Might be a 90-year-old that receives Christ. It might be a 36-year-old like I was that receives Christ as their Savior. And so as I close in prayer this morning, just to ask everyone to bow their heads as, as I pray. But if that's you this morning, you've never received Christ as your Savior, recognize I need that in my life. I realize that I am not destined for heaven unless I have that right relationship. If that's you this morning as we close in prayer, I just encourage you to raise your hand. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of eternal life that you offer us. Lord, it's not free other than free to us. Christ paid for that with his life. And he defeated death for us because he rose again. And we are covered in his righteousness when we say, yes, I believe that Christ died for me, for my sins, and he rose again. If that's you in this room this morning, you've never said, Jesus, I need you, I just encourage you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for your promise that when we say, I believe, even if it's just in our heart and a simple raising of our hands, we have become a child of God. The angels are rejoicing in heaven because another person has come home. You have written their name in the Lamb's book of life. They are yours, and you seal that with your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that there are new rejoicing going on in heaven for the one who came home today. Thank you so much. And Lord, for all of us, we just want to continue to grow and understand more and more each day, not only how much you love us, but how you want us to serve you, to grow in you each and every day, becoming more and more like you because you have given us your power within us in order to do so. That same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. May we serve you mightily, Father, demonstrating to the world that each person is important and loved by you. May we as your followers invite others into the family of God just because of the joy that you have given us, the power that you give us, and we just thank you for that honor, Lord. May we glorify you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.